Hello, travelers, and welcome. Uh, welcome, patrons. Thank you so much for being here at our season three Q&A. Um, and thank you so much for supporting the show. Um, I'm Noah Symes. You may or may not know me um, as uh, the voice of Peter Nureyev or Ransom. Uh and you, uh, and also the sometimes host of these sometimes Q and A's, or <laughs> Q's and A's, excuse me. Um, I'm currently being upstaged by a dog, so let me <laughs> let me turn it over to uh, my three guests. It turns out, uh, so they can introduce themselves. Hi, everybody. Hi. <laughs> Thanks, Lee. Say hello. This is. I, I want. What did you think would happen if she not this? So good. She wanted to come up on my lap, and then the second yeah. we started streaming, she was like, "Get me out of here." Well, you yeah. Get down? She's, she's a very. Do you want to get down? She's a well, very exactly, private right? lady. Can you get down? Well, anyway, this is Pine Slice. She's my baby, and oh. she's leaving. <laughs> probably for the best. You you very much so. Yes. Okay. There you uh, go. So hi, um, hi Noah. That getting the dog's adorable, and getting upstaged by the dog is a very real thing, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, they say never work with animals or babies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, now she's crying. Oh boy, she's and pine slices both. <laughs> uh, animal babies. Uh, hi, did we even introduce ourselves? Or were we Guess distracted? who we you are. did not. No, you also <laughs> got upstaged by hi. the dog. I'm Kevin Vibert. I've been the lead writer and co-creator of the show. <laughs> I'm Sophie Takagi Gaynor. I'm the other co-creator and sound designer and director. Well, thank you both so much for sitting down and doing this. Um, I'm excited to to sort of reflect on the season that was and, yeah. and mm -hmm. get some questions from folks out there in the chat. Um, and we've also received uh, a few questions uh, via Patreon, so mm -hmm. I'll be peppering those in as well. So uh, to start us off, why don't I start with one of those? Um, uh, I'm sorry, I, I don't have the names attached to these, but um, we have this question. Uh, uh, let just just a good one to start with is what was everyone's favorite part of the season to create? Uh, and this person would love to hear favorites from both the Juniverse and the Second Citadel storylines. Okay, that's tough. Yeah. Do you want to? What, what, only one <laughs> do you do you want to talk from a sound design perspective like what was a moment that was like really fun to design um, your favorite episode to put together okay i i'm really gonna have trouble sticking to like this is my one favorite sure. uh but i have a i mean obviously um what lies beyond part one was very special um, and I really, really loved putting together the wedding scene. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, that, that was, that was something that felt very good to do. And I really took my time with it. Um, I was lucky. And I imagine it's nice to have, uh, oh, sorry. I imagine it's nice to have a break from like lasers and explosions. Yeah, too, it is. We, we have a lot of those. Yes. Like, action To do is something sort of, uh. Quiet. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, something more homey, you know, homier. Yeah, uh, um, action is very exhausting to put together. It means that I'll be spending a really, really long time on a very short, um, you know, period. Like, um, it could be one minute 
that you're listening to, but it could take me days, you know, just to put together that one minute. So it is very exhausting. Um, and I think that it's good to have all that action in there. And I think it means that we kind of earn the quiet moments that we do have. Uh, but the wedding scene Absolutely. was was really special. Um, I think everyone turned in such a beautiful performance. Uh, and I love working with music, and I had some really great music to work with. Um, so that one's pretty special to me. That's, yeah, no, and you wrote Vespa's Vows. <laughs> yes. You're really nice to keep giving me credit for that. It's because, like, you wrote the whole everything else. It's a, it's a remarkable well, but, moment. But, but... <laughs> And and I imagine that uh, that it feels different working on sound designing around text that you created. Yeah, mm-hmm. I yeah. imagine that's a different experience. No, it I was. Wouldn't know. It was very special, <laughs> um, and and I'm glad that I got to do it. <laughs> I think I think for the Juniverse, the the episode that I was probably the most like out of my mind excited excited writing was uh, What Lies Beyond Part Two. Mm. Um, because mm. I read, I was, we were trying to, we did a thing that we've been doing ever since Train From Nowhere, which is a process that I really, really like, which is basically where we, in the pitch for an episode to each other, we kind of pitch a huge problem that we have no idea what the solution is. Uh, and then the sort of challenge is we need to figure out the solution before we even raise the problem to you, right? This, the, the situation needs to seem unsolvable, but we need to have a solution before we ever give it to you. Uh, otherwise, it's not reasonable. So for that one, this is the right. This is this is this is the strategy to avoid uh, the lost syndrome. Exactly, right. Ooh, yeah. it's, in it, Train from Nowhere is the one that I call out because I felt like I felt like we really kind of codified that in that episode. Mm-hmm. There's a moment at the beginning where Nureyev says like the thesis statement of Train from Nowhere, which is that oh, yeah. like that's an uncatchable train and we are going to catch it. Right, right, right. It's very very easy to get across. Um, for this one, it was us p- pitching to each other. How can Juno plan a jailbreak while he's literally constantly under watch from the, the head guard from Sasha Wire, right? Um, and was totally stumped, completely stumped, until I happened to read that little fact about uh, hydrogen peroxide and acetone, and I couldn't shut up about it for weeks, or actually months, because I can't shut up about it now either. That was nuts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Second Citadel. Second Citadel. Um, I really loved working on the Priestess's Fortune, uh, which is the penultimate arc of this season. Um, and there's another quiet moment in that that I really, really love. Mm-hmm. Um, it's when Olala sees Tilai again, mm-hmm. um, and they get to talk about death. And I really loved getting to do that. I mean, it was a bummer that I wasn't able to record with Marge in the mm-hmm. studio for that. Um, but you know, because I do, since I'm the director, I did, you know, get to hear her act it before I, uh, recorded my part of it, which helped a lot. Um, and I just, that was another one where I, I worked a little bit with music, although it was just music that I found, um, and a lot of, um, just wind noises and falling leaves. Um, and I mean, the writing in that scene is fantastic. So thank you. Yeah. I loved working on it. I, I just loved getting to explore the Western wastes more in this season I mm. uh, like s- second second in in Juno I'm like re- I'm really interested in kind of exploring what's this character going to do when we put them in this situation and I am in second citadel too in second citadel the the world also really draws me in and I always want to like take that map and add in a little bit more detail mm-hmm. um in a way that 
just because the galaxy is so huge, we kind of can't do in Juno. Mm. We, we can tell you about a given planet, but there are so many that what, what impact on like the culture of all humanity would that have? You know what I mean? The Western Wastes right, are like different... my ideal place forever fall. Yeah. 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 It's a very different style of filling in that map, right? It's, you know, it's little pinpricks with vast space in between them right. versus, you know, a more traditional sort of. It's like how you know, I experience the, the beginning world of a book. because I don't drive and I only take the train everywhere. So everything is just like a little, <laughs> one little spot. Right. Wherever you pop up, that yeah. exists <laughs> I don't on know its own, unconnected. Yeah. Um, we had one, uh, one quick little question from the chat, which is uh, uh, they were wondering if uh, it was a violin or a viola in the wedding scene. Oh, uh, maybe it was a viola. I mean, the... The musician plays both, um, and and there was also mm. some um, editing done to it, so right. you know it right. sounded weird for what it was. Um, and I think, well, and I think also she like layered herself playing, you know, like five different parts, uh, which helps to right. have us imagine <laughs> which that will Nureyev disguise is playing it a little some, bit, right? Yeah. But Nureyev <laughs> is playing some sort of instrument that we are unfamiliar with that has so many strings, I guess, just like like viola ish. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Um, the viola has evolved in the <laughs> centuries <laughs> since. Um, uh, I should I should point out, uh, folks in the chat, uh, feel free to drop questions in there. I will just be able to pull them as I happen to see them. Uh, there's no real uh, structure here, so I may or may not get to yours, and I apologize that I won't be able to get to all of them, but feel free to start dropping questions in there as well. Um uh, I have one here that says, which storyline was more exciting to work on production-wise? And I suspect the answer here may be uh, slightly equivocating. But <laughs> uh, to this, this is a slightly equivocating answer, but I swear at the end of this, I will say one of the two series. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> what, we, what we did to set up this season that was really exciting and also really scary is at the end of last season, or we basically decided that in, in in this season, the way that we follow the story for the two series is a little bit switched. The Juno series, which has always followed one character and we're very in his head, oh, yeah. uh, is going to become, for a season, an ensemble show, right? And the Second Citadel series, which has always been this ensemble bouncing around, we talked about point of view being contagious, right? We follow Mark and Caroline, Caroline and Angelo, etc. Um Second Citadel was going to be all stories featured this one character, Olala. Um, I think that uh, which which of those was more exciting from like the writing standpoint specifically? Uh, doing a super deep dive on your characters, you just you just kind of can't beat it. And so, because the characters in the Juno storyline had already been established, and we just got to dive deeper into them. Um, I'd say I got more thrills writing that this season. Um, the equivocation is that I think we've set up Second Citadel in such a place that, like, of the two series, that's the one that I am champing at the bit for, for season four. I am so excited to get back in there. Um, I have a different way of equivocating, <laughs> which is that I, I think that in some ways for the first half of the season, Second Citadel was a little more exciting to me because it was a little bit like having that freshness of starting something completely new um, because that always feels like kind of a risk. Like the first half of 
Fool in the Garden of Death felt stressful because it was like, hey, we know you're here to find out more about all those characters you got to know. None of them. You get none of them. Mm -hmm. Not one. Um, Here's somebody completely new. And that's always stressful. And of course, that is kind of how we set up Second Citadel in the beginning, but it's been a long time and people have gotten really attached to the characters that we do have. And so it was scary and exciting to say, oh my gosh, I, I hope they like this new place and this new character that we're featuring. And that was very exciting. Um, I think near the end of the season, I started to get really excited about Juno and just like the momentum going into the end of the season and the fact that we knew we were going back to Juno's perspective, but then we had this additional twist of getting to see Sasha's perspective Mm -hmm. um, and, and the culmination of a lot of things that we have been planning. Yeah. I like your answer. Thank you. Me too. I think I like your answer better than mine. Yes, me too. <laughs> um, oh, here's a good one. Uh, what were some of the pros and cons of recording remotely this season? Okay. Uh, sort of behind the scenes stuff. Mm-hmm. That's actually quite answerable. Absolutely. Uh, Go because for it. the biggest, <laughs> the biggest upside was scheduling. <laughs> I was going to say, I could answer this one. Yes. No one knows all about that because he, he manages this. Right. Getting, getting everyone in a room together is awful uh is difficult (laughs) because we often need multiple sessions we need a rehearsal and we have some very talented actors who are very in demand right are doing other (laughs) by other people making art um uh so yeah that is often very difficult and suddenly it became uh so easy to schedule these one-on-one uh sessions right because it was just Um, like while i was home Mm-hmm. And so right. all we had to do was find a time when one person could record with me. So that was right. So, amazing. you know, uh, that I assume that's the only pro, but I don't know. That's, that's the one I felt. I think that's the only pro. I mean, it made my job a lot harder on every level. Um, you know, because suddenly I had to spend exponentially more time on the recording process and then exponentially more time on the, Maybe not exponentially. More time on the designing process because people aren't having live conversations. I'm having to splice them together afterwards, which I do not like. Uh, Makes directing way harder because I have to sort of remember how person A delivered something and report that back to person B if necessary. Yeah, which is just an insane thing that you have to do now. Um, I mean, that's wild. And I think it's hard on the actors. I mean, I mean, they all took it in stride for sure. But I, the whole reason that we record in person is because that chemistry is so important to us. Um, and I know there are some productions that sort of do everything remotely in the first place. And so they're maybe more accustomed to working on it that way. But for me, it's always been so... I've said this before, but coming from theater, like it's so important to me for, to have people work together in person. And then that was gone. Um I think because we didn't introduce too many new characters this season, we were able to rely on a chemistry that had already been established between a lot of the actors, and that was very helpful. But it sucked. It sucked. <laughs> Zero out of ten. I, yeah, I will say the, the only other good thing about it, I would say, is that we now know we can do it. Yes, mm. yes. You know? So even, even when we return to being able to do it in person, yes. you know, it just it gives us more freedom that's know absolutely that true. We are able to pull it off, this especially way. now that people have moved. Um, and it will always be a priority to work together in person. But mm-hmm. yeah, what about you? Uh, I miss being there for recording. 
I haven't been there for recording yeah. since like one of the first episodes of the season. Yeah. Um, and like, it's funny because for a while there we were having sort of an issue determining like, why am I there actually? What is my, what's my job? Right. Um, but I never, I never felt it more strongly until I suddenly couldn't do it, which is that like, no, we figured it out what your job was. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and like, so on a, there's even a way in which writing scripts took a lot longer because I needed the parenthetical directions to be oh, to so do much the work. more specific. Um, right. Whereas before I'd like leave it blank and honestly assume someone was going to ask me a question, right. which wasn't great either. No, Maybe I'll find funny. a middle ground. That might be the way. Went. Who knows? Maybe she's wreaking havoc in another room. <laughs> um, so... Uh, Here's sort of a, a question from the chat that a couple of people have asked different versions of, which is the end of this season uh, in the Juno storyline is a lot more, I think people said sort of open-ended than the previous mm-hmm. couple seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I, and, and I'm curious about this too. So I, I guess the way I would phrase it is, you know, is uh, it, it seems to be leaning more heavily into the next season than previous seasons mm-hmm. have, right? It it leaves a lot of questions unanswered to yeah. be answered later down the road, mm-hmm. rather right. than sort of wrapping anything up there. Uh, any thoughts about you know was that a conscious choice or was that sort of a function of another decision you'd made? What what led to that? Uh... That was definitely a conscious choice, especially like the closer that we got to it. Um, it was, from the very beginning, it was our suspicion that because of, you know, bouncing between perspectives, you're, you're sort of not going to be able to, you know, we wouldn't be able to explore like an entire transformation within Juno, for example. So one, one of the reasons that it was really nice to jump between perspectives and really useful actually is because I think I said this before, but Juno's like personal development, I think during this year is in a place where it's very important and good. And also honestly, just kind of boring to watch. He's just, he's just figuring it out. He's come to his big conclusions. He needs to learn how to apply them. It involves a lot of making the same mistakes over and over again. And you can only, that can only carry you so far. Um, so I loved being able to check in on what other characters were going through during that time. Uh, besides that, though, uh, I think that maybe for me, from the story planning perspective, what we did over the two halves of season two bit me in a way that like that it, it, it gave me kind of like a, a creative high that I've been chasing ever since is maybe how I'd put it because by expanding the story in that way, knowing where it's going to end, but giving yourself the space to like really elaborate on the mysteries and kind of bury yourself in them. Uh, it is, it was just so much more fulfilling for me to, to explore the answers to those mysteries later on. Um, so I guess for me, mentally in terms of like macro plot season three most resembles like the first half of Mm. season two which was a season long uh Mm. so that i think that's kind of the answer to the question right is season three is a lot of setup and we're aware of it and uh we did it on purpose uh but we've we've got the payoff we got the payoffs coming we know what they are um yeah and like i don't know they're like it's a nice thing about not writing for a network, you mm-hmm. know, and like having a specific number of episodes per season or, you know, wondering whether you're going to be renewed mm-hmm. um, for an, uh, the next season and stuff like that because you just 
do what's going to work for the story. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's always, uh, I think it's more important to us to like have an arc that feels good. uh, The roller coaster of Mm -hmm. that versus like, well, we're going to answer these questions in this set amount of time. Right. Um, That was not a promise that was made. And like, we will, but Mm -hmm. you know, it just didn't happen in the season, Mm -hmm. which is fine. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i'm very excited about it i think you know i i know it's it's part of it's part of your collective sort of i don't know if it's your mission statement but you know i know it's your goal to never sort of let yourself fall into complacency by doing the same thing again so i think it's cool to have except people yelling on other sides way. of doors we will do that till well, the end of you know time. you're never going to shake everything yeah <laughs> Um, <laughs> hyper specific, hyper specific cliches and typecasts only. Joshua Elon will, and right. I'm going to make a called shot right now that nobody should take me seriously on. Joshua Elon will murderously chase a Kate Jones character, even though he's supposed to be someone that she trusts one more time before the show is through. You say this so often. I know. It's just so specific. I don't know how we did it and didn't notice till like a year later. <sighs> Well, it helped that in the in the early days there were about four of us playing all the parts. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> there were only so many combinations. Um, I uh, I'm going to ask a question that I don't fully understand because everyone in the chat wants to know. I'm nervous. Um, that makes me nervous. Uh, it, yeah, it probably should. Great. Uh, something about Buddy's teeth. Oh, thank God. Here's a more reasonably written one. Okay. Uh, if Buddy only drinks alcohol and drinks nail polish, that would probably damage her teeth. So if she doesn't have teeth, does she have fake teeth? God, leave that That's woman the alone. <laughs> I, I don't know. I feel, like, I feel like once we get to the point where... Once we get to the point where you've accepted enough sci-fi contrivances that you're okay with someone drinking only alcohol and nail polish remover, and you're not going to ask if their stomachs are right, <laughs> I think I'm, I'm going to use my brother's line for all sci-fi things for that. They figured they it figured out. They figured it out. They just figured it out. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe Buddy doesn't want to say. So she's got teeth of some kind. We can, mm-hmm. we, we, we can put a stamp on that. Mm-hmm. She can chew. Great. She... Boy, can she ever chew. If she wanted to. Let's not, let's not get carried away. She's not like a remarkable chewer. She, she can chew. She's, She's not like known chewer. for it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, getting a little back on track. Um, uh, someone in the chat wanted to know um, if you, because of course I think you've been pretty open about the fact that the idea for doing this sort of uh, moving perspective thing in season three of the universe came from sort of real world restrictions on right. who was able to do what, when, right. Um, uh, if you had not told this season as an ensemble story, uh, do you have any sense of how different the actual story would have been? Or is that too hard a road to go down? Like it just in, in informs everything about it. Um, I mean, I think there's probably certain things that we will get to that we would have gotten to earlier. Yes. I think that would have changed. Yeah. Mm. Um, I, you know, but I bet there are aspects of the structure that would stay the same. I bet it would be a series of Juno adventures where we were like, this is a very 
Vespa-centric adventure. This is a very jet-centric yes. adventure. Yes, we probably would have um, that. Yeah, but but uh, but again, I also think I also think it just would have been like a lot worse in a way that is is difficult to to get across because it has it has so much to do also with just the way that we thought about and planned episodes for this season. Yes, like right. it would look so fundamentally different because the challenge that we put on ourselves of we're entering a new headspace every episode. We're exploring this galaxy from six different or from five brand new perspectives, right? Um, kind of dictated a lot about everything from the world building to the overarching plot and everything. So mm-hmm. it would be the reason I bring that up is because when we did like writing fiction across the void, I said that like sometimes when you place a restriction on yourself, that's what's like activates your creativity. Yes. Um, giving ourselves that challenge was like the thing that sparked the engine that made season three as good as it was. Yeah. I think. Um, definitely there, there's some things that I feel like we know we're going to do in season four that probably would already have happened right. in season three. I do think that's the case. And then there, there's like, there's always some things that like there are ideas that we have that are not attached to anything yet. Mm-hmm. And then we talk about them and we're like, how are we going to incorporate this into what we already have? And I think a good example of that is what ended up being tools of rust. Mm-hmm. Um, because I was like, I want to, I just think it would be really cool to work with a musician, mm-hmm. um, and build that into an arc, mm-hmm. um, and have them, you know, give them an acting role, um, you know, make them a character, build that character around the performer, they're a musician, um, and work that into the story. And so that was an idea that sort of pre-existed. Mm-hmm. And then we were like, okay, we're going to make it part of the Jet story. And that's kind of how that came to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if we, um, if we hadn't been doing the round robin thing, it would have happened elsewise. Yeah, sure. Um, while you were sort of... You, you, you sort of alluded to season four there, and I know we don't want to say too much about it. I know we don't know too much about it at this point, uh, but I know from a macro perspective, you kind of know where we're going. So uh, here's one question I, that I think is probably fair game uh, because it can't possibly reveal anything, uh, which is uh, if you had to give a one word summary of season four, what would it be? Let's say Juno and Second Citadel. Um, this was someone in the chat, but I am enjoying torturing you with this. I've got one for Second Citadel. What? Um, big. That's it. Okay, <laughs> I get it. Big. But... All right, your turn. Tom I Hanks. did not like the facial expression that came with big? that. <laughs> Made me uncomfortable. <laughs> Uh, for Juno, mm. um, ouch. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, big and ouch. Mm. That, frankly, um, feels pretty on brand. Mm. <laughs> um, great. Uh, uh, one other season four question while we're on it. Um, can we expect to hear uh, some new voice talent in season four? And or uh, can we expect to revisit any any of our old favorite voice talent in season four? Yes and yes. Mm-hmm. Um, 
You don't get to know who. <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> but but something that I am really looking forward to for season four, because season three, um, as I mentioned before, we didn't really add that many new characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, we added we added mm-hmm. a couple to a couple more to seconds at all, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but more at the beginning, anyway. Mm-hmm. And we added maybe two to I think, Juno. I think there were no, no, there were literally three new characters in the entire Juno season. Yeah, and mostly at the beginning. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Um, <coughs> and you know, previously it had been a lot more of like encountering minor characters mm-hmm. every episode. Um, and it's not to say that we'll go back to doing exactly that, but, um, we will definitely be moving to a format where we do get the opportunity to meet Mm -hmm. more new people, which I'm really excited about, uh, because it's been fantastic to work with the same group of people, but it's also wonderful to, to add new people. Yeah. Um, and particularly with hopefully the pandemic coming to an end, you know, Mm -hmm. that will be very nice in season four. Great. Excuse me. I just choked on nothing, as one does. <laughs> um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so, uh, here's another question from the chat. Is uh, What was the thought behind the tarot references in Second Citadel? I assume we're talking here largely about the... Posters. I mean, obviously there's the thought stream in the in the story itself, but then the posters and the titles. I think that I think that that was one of the things that the the first so Fool in the Garden of Death was totally written before before we came to that decision. A lot of our ideas about the whole structure of season three and the plot for season three as Second Citadel were already written by the time we kind of came up with the tarot idea. I forget I forget how much Milo had to do with that idea because I know that Milo really like elevated it into the cards for the posters, which yes. I love. Yes. I don't think he came up with the idea for okay. it to be tarot themed, but I think <clears> that he, he developed, developed it mm-hmm. a lot. Um, and like built it into the structure of what the posters look like. Yeah. It, for me, a lot of it was that like with Olala, we were, we had kind of set out to do a very, very, very classic hero's journey story. Right. Like you and I, I, mm. I have both said in the past, that we think that the over-application of that model to all stories is like is a little nonsense because if you're vague enough, you can make anything fit into any category. Right. Um, but, but that doesn't mean it's not fun. No, yeah, this, <laughs> this is very direct to the point where like the, the part in the journey that is called like passing through the veil of death is when Ola basically dies and goes back to the Garden of Grace, right? Like it's it's very it was very direct on purpose, yeah. I guess. Um I guess that's kind of how I feel about tarot, too. It's like, yeah. if you're vague enough, anything means anything. But that doesn't mean it's not fun. Exactly. It's like, these are structures that I'm not convinced actually inherently measure something about the universe. But I think they can cause us to have interesting ideas yeah. about the world around us. And what more do you need for a story? Yeah. I, that makes sense to me. Um, it's been fun to see uh, to see each episode what 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 card mashup we would have especially if we got to the end and we were like oh my god As you're, we yeah. only have like a couple more you're running out of major arcana yeah yes the number of times um, that i pitched a title with hierophant this season <laughs> was one and it didn't go over well. 
Well, then uh, we ran into a problem, which was that we had already we had already used the world in our last season, yeah. right? Because it ends with battle at World's End, mm-hmm. oh, so right. we couldn't even use right. that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Uh, Kevin, this question is for you. This is from Patreon. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had to re-record the patron names because one made you laugh? Uh, lot in the Garden of Gains, if you're out there, uh, you can show yourself and claim your prize. That's the one. <laughs> I, I read them all. I mean, the, my, the secret is just that I read them all before I start recording. Also, so that I don't, like, trip over a name. Well, yeah, they're also far from being live. Like, right. you do as many takes as you need to. Right, right. But, like, <laughs> that one, I broke up laughing when I was reading the list away from the microphone and then cracked up again in front of the microphone. Yeah. I so. that. <laughs> um, we love to hear it. Um, uh, let's see in the chat here. Uh, uh, since Olala was so successful, would you consider adding uh, other children or younger characters into the story? I don't know. I assume this question is coming out of the fact that I think, I, I feel like a ways back we talked about not wanting to do yep. that oh, because yeah, yeah, of the difficulty yeah. in convincingly portraying them yeah. using adult actors, which yeah. is something we're interested in doing, is not using actual children. Good thing we have Marge. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's true. No, yeah. yeah if we I could find another Marge who can do that voice so convincingly. And I think if we have um, if we have something to say about another child right. character, which like off the top of my head no yeah i i don't i don't have much partially because it's very very hard to write a protagonist who is a kid and still feels like they have enough going on that they're interesting enough to follow them for a long period of time that the stakes are there yeah yeah right yeah Yeah. that's not that's not like that's not a dig on kids in general uh uh, <laughs> what are we anti kids? I'm, I'm just anti child. Childs go away. Uh, <laughs> this, but it's just like you haven't been around very long. Not very much has happened to you. So a lot of the stuff that we do to build a character like Juno is like, what was he up to ten years ago? Right. If we right. asked about Ola, what was she up to ten years ago? It'd be like, well, I guess we cheated it because she has she, actually she been around old. for a very yeah. long time, uh-huh. <laughs> and a lot has happened to Fair. her. Fair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Um, is there something about the characters that surprised you or that you only realized when you were writing this season? I suspect the answer is yes, but I don't know what the, what, what things. Definitely. Every single crew member in the car blanche. That was uncovering. mm, That was part of what was so fun about this season in Juno. Yeah. Um, Buddy's whole thing where she has to like heavily plan out and rehearse what she's going to say before she says it. Yes. Discovered in that script. Right. Um, the fact that the way Jet is is a reaction to the way he used to be. Yep. Uh, the fact that like, well, I think maybe one of my favorites in that series though was just like the distance between how Vespa sounds speaking out loud yeah. and how Vespa sounds in her head mm. um, was that one was one that we didn't even really realize until the script was done. Yeah. And then like I was looking through it and I was like this does not sound like <clears throat> this does not sound like the same person. And that itself is really interesting. Yeah. Right. Uh the fact that internally <laughs> Nareev is like a wet mess. <laughs> <laughs> right, we gave him we gave him a Sherlock Holmes <laughs> mind palace just so he could trash it. And that felt pretty good. <laughs> 
Uh, but like yeah, it would never well, and, be, and, it, and it's it would never be interesting to have a character who's like externally cool and then be like, yeah, on the inside they are cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, and 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 I think right, it's obviously an interesting subversion of that character of that t- type, right? right? Because as you say, a, you know, a, a Sherlock Holmes type, ultra competent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's 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 right. Obviously, if you're going to go inside their head, that's already sort of a subversion because usually what makes those characters work is that we don't get to see exactly. inside their head. Right. It's just right? like now you um, see vulnerability yeah. and that changes something. Right. And, and I think, I think I, I like the way that you handled it because you say he's a wet mess inside, <laughs> but like, but even inside his own head, he's doing his best to be what he right. portrays Projects. outside. His yes. Head, you know? Yes. Right. And that's, that's, I think what is satisfying about that. Right. Yeah, um, but then we also slipping into sort of comedy. <laughs> we also we did get to see that with Nora of like externalized mm-hmm. a bit also, right? Like being so trying not to be messy, but being so messy on the inside, and then like it it turns out that that does creep its way onto the outside eventually. Mm-hmm. The fact mm-hmm. that his room is a mess, mm-hmm. uh, the fact that near mm-hmm. the end of the season he's so on edge right. that he's like dropping things and like you know like acting erratically. And we, we had established part of that in like train from nowhere or no, even in murderous mask. Right. I found her in his pocket between half of the sandwich and the other half of the sandwich. Yes. But I think that at that time, at least from Juno's perspective and perhaps from the audience's perspective as well, it was like, Oh, how quirky, you know, it's like a, you know, manic pixie kind of a thing. Right. It wasn't like, Oh, he's a mess. Right. right we weren't, right. you know, we didn't take it that way in that moment. Sure. Um, I just, sorry, just briefly for Second Citadel. Oh, yeah. I just kept growing up oh, on us. Please. Yes. Yeah. I I writing writing a main character who's a kid is really hard, and we were very worried about it many times, especially like early on. Right. Um, I think that each episode we put out for like the first three Second Citadel storylines, each Ola like episode we put out, I felt a little bit like we dodged a bullet. By like, oh good, the kid is still interesting. <laughs> Let's keep this rolling. Um, but around around uh, Devil in the Sunlight and uh, Strong Arm of Justice, she just like really grew up and became her own person in a way that like I was very taken aback by. Yeah, mm. and proud of her. Like yeah. I, I really love in um, uh, what's the last arc called? Uh, Judgment of the Empire. Judgment of the Empire. Um, when she really like comes into her own and becomes this god of death. Mm-hmm. I just love that for her. <laughs> I was going to say I mean, something that, that more does poignant. feel like the, <laughs> yeah, the natural conclusion of specifically the two of you right. being like, okay, we're going to write a child. We'll do it. Yes. I think we can do it. No, legit. But she will become a god of death an ageless god of death (laughs) legitimately when we knew the god of death thing when we knew the thing that she was actually like super ancient and had already died before (laughs) like part of the pitch that we gave to each other is like okay so our new main character is a kid and she's the antichrist right (laughs) Uh, and uh so glad we went that way oh man that's feminism that is feminism (laughs) oh la la is uh girl boss right (laughs) um so uh, here's one from a little ways back in the chat that I jotted down is um, uh, 
I, I think this person expressed how how much um, fun it is to see all these different characters interact and when they get sort of paired off in moments and you get to see those, those particular dynamics. And they were wondering, and now I'm wondering as well, if you each have uh, a favorite or a couple favorite uh, character dynamics between a couple of characters. Mm. Buddy and Jack. Yeah. I was going to say, maybe, yeah, maybe ones that we've particularly explored this season. I, and that is a great one. I just yeah. love them. I love how much they love each other and how much they're there for each other. Mm-hmm. Um, Buddy and Jet scenes write themselves. I feel like I, I just, I just sit down and it's, it's, a, it's much closer to rough draft than any of the rest of it. And it's just because their relationship feels very real to me. Yeah. yeah it will. And, and it, and it's, they, I mean, at least in the Juniverse, right? They, these are sort of the characters who have been the closest for the longest. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Because I feel like everyone else's long term relationships are just fraught. Juno you know? and Rita. <laughs> Juno and Rita. That's a really Juno, That's one. true. That's and that's true. another one that yes. I really love to see. And like, yeah. and I, I think that, you know, like not to be sappy, but I think that we draw on our own relationship mm-hmm. for that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like pe- people who have been friends for a very long time. Right. And have gone through different phases of their life together. Mm hmm. Um, and and how important that can be in one's life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sort of a totally other end of the question, or other, other whatever. Second Citadel. Uh, one of the one of the episodes this season that just had a pair that was so fun to write that it just went was uh, Devil in the Sunlight. Every scene with uh, Kuan Yi and Jack of Shadows of all characters oh. uh, just flew by, and it was largely because I think we've said this before. Every once in a while, it's nice to have a villain who's just the worst. Yeah, and that's it, and you're done. Yeah, <laughs> he's just he's a bad he's a bad man made of shadows, and at the end, he goes poof, and we feel nothing. Right, it's he's fun. just a monster monster, <laughs> right? Um, In a two dimensional way. And seeing Kuan Yi as like the more stalwart hero in that uh in that and watching her chaotic take on being a hero uh with this like mm-hmm. this villain that's that's vi- that's very charming i think largely because of stewart uh stewart's He's performance so good um and stewart's like so good just nefarious enough i ju- i i was ready i was ready to write the kwani adventure series at that point I thought you were going to say Kwan Yi and Olala, which is what I was going to say, oh, because yeah. I do really love them together, because, like, Kwan Yi has, can have this sort of, like, chaotic, um, like, kids TV show character, you know, like, mm-hmm. it, it's like she's talking to the kid audience at home. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, but horrible. Right. No, very big <laughs> Pee Wee's Playhouse vibes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and I, I Kwan Yi's Playhouse. That. And right, and oh, <laughs> I want to see right. It and that's I don't. that's actually a haunted house. That's not. Uh... <laughs> um, and like, I don't know. The way Olala often reacts to it is really fun because you know when like maybe this is projection, but when kids and dogs sometimes look at you and they're like, "Oh, you're being weird. You're the weird one." <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and I feel like Olala sometimes has that reaction to Kwan Yi, like, "Oh, you're a lot." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um there uh again another another uh sort of 
upswelling in the chat. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna be sure to phrase these as "Do you have any thoughts about?" Because I know that we're not into giving rubber stamp canonical answers to things that are not in the work. Um, not. Do you have any thoughts about uh, what happened to Mtendere's body? Uh, uh, no the, is an acceptable answer. Yeah, for, for your specific phrasing, do yeah, I have no. a single thought? No, <laughs> never had one. Head empty. This is the first time. Cool. Not relevant to the story, so it didn't. <laughs> they figured it so, out. So we don't. Yeah, they figured it out. Great. Uh, I, I, I'm thrilled with any answer because then presumably fewer of the questions in the chat will be about <laughs> be that. that. <laughs> Right. I mean, um, I, I, I guess to, because because it's like an emotional moment to like to give it an actual second. Jet did something respectful with it. I would need to sit down and think about what the respectful thing is, and I've got to write the next sure. thing. So to be honest, I'm I'm not going to do that. There's um sure. a nice like uh, sci-fi funeral in the end of the Serenity movie. Mm -hmm. Um. Mm. You know, and it's mm. just like it's very simple, and I think there's like very simple graves, and maybe there's like a. <laughs> hologram type of fall on top of it with the person's face. Sounds familiar, yeah. Um, yeah, and they just like do it at sunrise or sunset or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I don't think many words are said. I could imagine something like that. Um, here's a question from a little ways back in the chat as well that I... Uh, this person was wondering about your priorities when writing queer relationships. And I'm assuming that they mean sort of in terms of you know not just in terms of like the story you're trying to tell but in terms of like you know representing them truthfully and uh and and and, and knowing that because there's less representation <clears throat> that there may you know more, more weight may fall on how you portray them mm -hmm. i mean i think we always try to give ourselves we've said this many times but we try to give <laughs> ourselves space in the fact that almost all of the relationships are queer. So no particular one needs to bear all the way, you know, it, it, you don't have that pressure of like, well, we can't portray an unhealthy queer relationship. Cause that's saying that queer relationships are unhealthy when like, maybe you just wanted to write an unhealthy relationship. Cause that's interesting to you. Um, and so if we have a wide variety of them, mm -hmm. like I think that helps. Um, but, but also, I mean, in a certain way, this one is pretty challenging in the Juniverse where it does seem that everybody's kind of whatever. Mm -hmm. um, yes, there are pronouns, um, but like, I don't know, in a certain way there shouldn't be. Mm. Like, in a way that's <laughs> almost inconsistent. Right, there are some... With our vision. There are some gimmies that we end up asking for, basically just so that we can get the story across in a way that's at all understandable. Right. Without reading like a syllabus first. right because they they i don't know i feel like their like pronouns would be different and as we've addressed before does it make any sense that people just know the pronouns to use automatically of course it doesn't make sense but mm -hmm. like i'd rather not like sit here and dither about it it's not interesting to right. me um, i think that that could right, make it, it for, feels sorry go ahead no no i was just gonna say it feels like part of the sort of you know what we've talked about as being sort of a cartoon sensibility mm -hmm. about the story right is that you know, in it, 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 it very similar to the they figured it out yes, answer, yes, which is, yes. 
whatever doesn't feel interesting or relevant or necessary to telling the story you want to tell. We're going to hand wave it. <laughs> we don't need to spend time, right. uh, you know, establishing the why and the how of it. Right. We just say, well, they figured it out. Right. And the distinction that I think is worth making is that I think that a story that did that could be really cool. I'm not saying that it couldn't. It's uh, like, sure. you know, but the, I think even even in like the sci-fi genre, right? You've got sci-fi that is like accessible and crowd-pleasing. Uh, and then the example that's come to mind for me right now is like Ursula K. Le Guin's Left Hand of Darkness, mm. which is a tome that is hard right. to read. Right. Uh, and it takes very, very serious looks at like social rules in a totally alien landscape. Right. And the trade-off with that is that for huge chunks of the left hand of darkness, especially in your first read through, yep. you have no idea what the hell is happening. Right. And it's very internally consistent. Yeah. It re- like in a way that we are not. Yeah. It is this beautifully realized world that you need to work very, very hard right. to get a foot in. Right. Um, and that doesn't go with the like serial page turner, exactly. pulpy thing that we're doing. Right. Our priorities know? are just different. Right. Which right. is why we do hand wave the things that we hand wave. Uh, to return to the, the queer relationships thing, I think that in a way it's a little more relevant to the Second Citadel universe in the sense that queer relationships there are queer. They are not the norm. Right. Um, they they have that weight on them. Um, and whereas in the universe, it's just, I don't know, people are just doing what they're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, that weight is not there. And we think it's nice to have a place where that weight is not there. Um, and and right. I think in some ways, you know, we kind of reference people's real world feelings about it a little bit. You know, the the way in which um, having a gay relationship is not the same as having a heterosexual relationship because you're looking at what is the same between you and that other person rather than we are different. Mm-hmm. Or at least that's how I think about it. Um, so that that is still the case, you know, in the gay relationships in the universe. But the weight of being queer is not there. Right. Um, While we're talking about uh, sort of the relationship between the story and our real world, um, another question that somebody asked that I think is uh, a great one to touch on is about uh, the Second Citadel story this season. And uh, obviously there's a fair bit of resonance here thematically with our world um right we're talking about policing (laughs) um and uh i I don't remember how this person phrased it it was a way up in the chat but um i guess i i would be curious just to hear about how you came to that and what it was like writing uh not about uh such a sort of you know both top of mind and the hot button issue. I mean, truly, uh, but also, but you know, not writing about it directly, but, but writing with that mind. Well, we had to. Yeah. Um, and, but also I think we realized we had been all along. Yes. It, so something that's definitely happened to us multiple times is that we will have been setting ourselves up for storylines that once they come up are suddenly very relevant to the public conversation, even though they weren't relevant or as relevant when we set them up. Right. And that's not, it's not a declaration of genius. That's literally just, I think a lot of, a lot of creators, a lot of artists end up doing that just because we're all receiving the same inputs 
We're all receiving the same world and kind of processing it and maybe coming to the same conclusions. So we wanted to do with Second Citadel at the beginning, we wanted to do a police procedural with monsters. And as we did what we do with these stories, which is start like really questioning the assumptions that all the characters have about mm. how their world and how their genre works, we came to a conclusion that I think is that this one I don't feel like I'm bragging about because plenty of other people have come to it too. I think it's the right one. I think it's unimpeachable, right? Which is that this institution that has made its entire mission uh, has sort of made its entire mission in such a direction that does not actually help the people they're supposed to help, right? Um, it is either irrelevant to the situation or actively harmful. Uh, and because we had built the Second Citadel world thinking about what we knew about police in our world, I think we ended up kind of setting ourselves up to explore it in more detail later on. Yeah. I guess that's what I mean about we kind of were all along. Yeah. Um, and we certainly were not smart enough or prescient enough when we started with Mark and Tal to be like, and eventually this is going to be, you know, something where we, where we explore mm -hmm. like fundamentally how, how problematic policing is. Like that was not it. Like we were not <laughs> thinking about anything at all. Right. No, the, the Janus piece was just a monster. It was 2015 and everything was great. For us. Yeah. Um, and, Jesus. And we weren't thinking about anything at all. Mm -hmm. We were just like, yeah, police procedurals. That's a fun genre. Like, we, we were not interrogating. Right. We were watching a lot of policing. Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yeah. It, it, it sort of, it doesn't get a lot more complicated than that, actually. Right. Right. Because, yeah. because we were in a position to have been people who could watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine and not really think right. deeply about it. Right. Uh, still is a great show. But um, I'm, I'm sure the people who are making it have a lot to grapple with now. Mm -hmm. um, um, sorry, were you going to say something else? No, I forgot. Um, <clears throat> here's another question from uh, the Patreon, uh, which actually I can answer. Um, so Great. you can take a break. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the question is, uh, any chance of doing another virtual live show? The last one was a ton of fun. The answer is yes. There is a very good chance we will have another virtual live show. Um, I uh, I would say we're not at the point where we're ready to announce it officially, but I would say um, very soon you can look for such an announcement. Um, and uh, yeah, we we're going to be doing um, a really cool. I mean, it'll be another existing episode, but um, Kevin's started working really hard to uh, revamp it into something that is both recognizable and something entirely new. And yeah. uh, we're really trying to make this one very special in terms of uh, production value and really embracing the digital medium. Um, so I'm excited about about it. And it's I... also worth saying without spoiling what it is that it is one that we would never have been able to do in a regular live theater right. situation. Yeah. So this is the Just only way. too unwieldy yes. in real life. So Pardon? we're really excited that yeah. our hand has been forced into doing a digital yes. version. So this is the only way you would ever see it anyway. Right. Yeah. That's part of the yeah. reason that that's mm -hmm. part of the reason that this is the story that came up for us is yes. that 
we've always wanted to do this one and the realities of doing it in person we just, just can't to. so made our heads hurt yeah, yeah so th- <laughs> this is just a super exciting experiment that we're going on i can't yes. wait yeah so that will be coming down the pipeline uh very soon in in the grand scheme of things um I, I literally just because I answered that question, I forgot that I then had to ask the next one. I was like, <laughs> so that's that, and sat back. Um, here's here's one more from the Patreon while we're there. Um, uh, when the Ruby Seven was first written to be the getaway car in the train from nowhere, were its Class X origins already planned to be revealed down the line, or was that a discovery later? I feel like. I feel like I've been wheedling you about the Ruby 7 for a very long time. <laughs> That's true. Um, I've been very resistant. Yeah, you have been very resistant. Also, when I when we talked about Juno joining up with a group of space criminals, and I suggested that one of them be Jets Kuliak, who is named uh, in half a second in Train from Nowhere, and we knew nothing about him except for his connection to the Ruby 7, uh, you also thought that was a really dumb idea. It was just like, you just think his name is cool. It, that's true. Not everything has to connect to everything. It, it, and it doesn't, but <laughs> I think I made the right choice. Oh, yeah. He's one of my favorite characters. Yeah. <laughs> so I, so basically, I guess to answer the question, like we've had ideas about that for a very long time. In the same way that we've had, we've had ideas about a lot of things that could have ended up becoming larger overarching mysteries, but... Once we kind of once we set something out, we realized it's actually enough. This doesn't imply any questions. I'm full. Thank you. I'm also. <laughs> um, and I really think we could have done that with the Ruby Seven too. There's no reason that it needed to come back. Right. But so long as it was going to come back, we wanted to really pull out all the stops and do something really exciting with it. Right. And and we we do often do a thing where we'll get to a point in development and then we're like, wait, 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 before we go any further, before we make up something completely new, let's just check back through our existing canon and is there stuff that we've already established that we can pull on so that we build more connections rather than going off in completely new directions. The law of conservation of story elements. Yes, or what Mm -hmm. we call uh, taking tools, or toys out. Taking the toys out of the toy box. The toy box, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, Here's one from the chat. Uh, uh, I guess this is largely for Kevin, although I suppose uh, Soviet could be for you too as well. Uh, is there a specific line that you thought of mm-hmm. on its own? How dare you? <laughs> it's cool, everybody. I'm going to pay for that for the rest of my life. Oh. Oh. Okay, for those um, who are not watching but just listening, he just pushed Oh, right. Me I forgot that in some case this will be an off audio Off screen? Medium. Oh, it was for this reaction, if it's any consolation. <laughs> The nerve. Yeah. The audacity. No, you were, I mean, you were saying is... something really interesting that I feel like we should move <laughs> oh, on to. Oh, that's entirely possible. This is way more interesting. I'm sorry. Though. Is there a line? Is there a line? That was the beginning of the book. Uh, is there a line that you thought up uh, sort of devoid of context and then uh, sort of were able to look forward to finding a way to give it context in the script? Or do you, or is that just not how your brain works? Every line I've ever done that for has not made it into the final draft. That's the honest answer. So I do have, I have a small collection of lines that I really like how they sound that I won't say out loud because part of me still believes will end up in something someday. And also, the best lines I write happen just when I'm sitting down to write. They kind of... Sure. I find that part of the reason that it's important to me to try to write every day is because 
I is because the characters are a lot smarter than I am. And so when I am writing from their perspective, that's when the cool stuff gets said. When Kevin Vibert's out on the street drinking his Dunkin' Donuts and just thinking about stuff, <laughs> it's more things like, why do clouds up? It's not much, right? <laughs> uh, and so... I, I sort of, I need to put myself in in Jet's head. So even like the 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 wise stuff that Jet says, I just put himself myself in his headspace, and something comes out, and I'm like, it sounds right. I didn't know that before. They 10 minutes legit ago. are smarter than you. Yeah, significantly smarter yeah. than me. But I've been noticing that since Prince of Mars. Yeah. Um, okay, but sometimes there are things that I. Come I've, I've up been with. noticing that you uh, haven't been that smart since Prince of Mars. <laughs> honestly, uh, honestly, if I kept up the ruse that long, that's a compliment. There are lines that I come up with devoid of context, or like sentiments that I come up with devoid of context, and I'm like, you have to put that somewhere. Put that somewhere. That's true. Hey, find a place. Put that somewhere. That's true. Um, like, okay, a good example of that is um, the thing that Rita says about. Um, calling Nereev Ransom. Yes. Because she knows his real name and she says, no, but if somebody tells you what to call them, then that's what you call them. And I was like, put the, put put it somewhere. And you, and for a while you were like, yeah, I really like it. But like, there is not really a place for that to go. But eventually you did find one. Yeah. No, when, and like, I hate to admit it, but usually when you make a demand like that, it's always, I'm always right. Mm. Always right. Mm. (laughs) Gonna need the receipts on that one. (laughs) (laughs) um uh oh i had a question here and then i lost it terraces um okay uh here's one for sophie to hate um if you could make one story into a musical which would you choose juno or second citadel oh um well actually Juno. <laughs> I just have an answer. <laughs> is that your answer as well? No, Second Citadel is my answer. Oh, okay. 100%. Why? Uh, largely be, I mean, uh, because I would want to write it around the keep. Oh, I see. We have a magical creature that sings. Right, right, right. I that's think true. that's the perfect in. I, I think the yeah. reason I would do Juno is because um, the, the fact that it's, or at least apart from season three, the fact that it is less of an ensemble cast and more of a, like, here's a main character, here's a love interest, like, that lends itself more easily to a traditional musical Mm -hmm. setup. You know, you could easily slot in those uh, musical tropes with those character setups. Um, Here's a question that I think someone went so deep in the lore for that I don't even know what they're talking about. Uh... It says, will, will we hear more about Tom and or Kay in the podcast? Oh. And I don't know who those people are. Those are referring... I hope you do. That's referring to very, very early drafts of uh, Angel of Brahma. Uh, that like... Oh, I see. Yeah, no, the Angel of Brahma near killed me. That was... I ended up writing... For what ended up being two episodes, I think I ended up writing between six and eight episodes and we ended up like we ended up carving it down to that too remember when we had that kind of time it wasn't time it was energy man <laughs> i could i the way that i did that was i just i, I sat down it, it was in it was during a summer vacation 
and I just wrote for hours every single day <laughs> until I felt like my eyeballs were going to fall out. And you were such a little baby. I was such a little baby, uh, just burning myself to the ground. Yeah. And I'm very glad I don't do that anymore. I cannot believe how much we have aged in five years. <laughs> Not physically, obviously, right. I look amazing, but like, right. you know. <laughs> no, I mean, it is, it's pretty incredible. To I'd be say, fair, the past year has been seven. Right. <laughs> yes. No, it yes. isn't. I'd say we've, so we've that, aged anywhere between four and six years. <laughs> uh, so no so to answer that question anything that's on patreon that's like an early draft of something um uh, don't consider it a hint at the future is the best thing that i'd say it's basically just an idea we had at the time are we still having that idea will that idea come up in the future maybe i'm not going to tell you what happens next. who's to say um, us but we won't right so i would say also who is who is this <laughs> so in the earliest in the earliest earliest draft oh no you're you're asking about that not Tom and Kevin. <laughs> yeah, no, no. It's just Kevin, this you're yourself. fancy person <laughs> that good. I decided to be. In the very <laughs> earliest drafts of Angel of Brahma, uh, we saw some little child, Nereev, and some uh, elaborating on his story. But a lot of that, a lot of that, a lot of what happened in that version of the story has been contradicted or deconfirmed at this point. So definitely don't go looking to that script like a secret trove of extra lore. Um, that was an idea we had on the way to having the idea that was the episode is kind of how I put it. It right. It's like the, uh, it's, it's, it's the toy box. It's part of the toy yes. box. Right. And, but nothing in there has come out of the toy box. Right. We've never officially I'm, taken that toy out of the toy box. Right. You're exactly right. Yes. Did you see the gears moving as I tried to expand <laughs> that metaphor. <laughs> oh boy. Um, Let's see here. Uh, from the Patreon, we've got uh, a question about how far in advance you plan the season's major plot points. Uh, this person asked specifically, uh, like, for instance, at what point did you know that Nerea was going to disappear this season? I mean, end of season two. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, epi the episode we brought him back. Right. I mean, on, before that, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> I mean... Look, here's the thing. Like, it's been well established. Like, mm -hmm. he has this catchphrase, right? When trouble arises, I disappear. So, like, you have to follow through on that. Right. Like, I, I think that, you know, I, I know that it makes people want to tear out their hair every time he disappears. Um, but I don't care. No, I mean, I, I care, but, like... But but I think that you need to follow through on um, character yeah. pieces like that. Mm -hmm. You just have to. Like, even if it is frustrating, because that's who he is. And, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but we're talking about, like, you know, the, the dial, you know, the way that uh, sort of story decisions and uh, real world uh, strictures sort of interact. Right. Tell me if I'm wrong, but I think part of that thought, in addition to being a very reasonable character uh, action for him to take, was the knowledge that I'd be moving, which mm -hmm. I have. I think that did. cemented it. And yes, that for you know, so that there, you know, there would be less uh, need for me to be there, right. present, right. Uh, during the the next season. Of yes. course, little did we know. Um, of course, now, you know, we can do this and it's right. fine. And right. so 
who knows what mm-hmm. how, I don't even know how you've adjusted your thoughts about the next season and how present or absent Nureyev will be. But right. um, no, I, I think that definitely entered into the thought process. Yeah, um, yeah. But, but and and, and I just think it's I think it's nice to 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 talk about that only because I think like <clears throat> like I th- I think there can be this idea that like if you're letting the real world strictures dictate your story, then somehow the story is, I don't know, it's tainted, right? Like there's, it's not pure storytelling, but the truth is that it's always influenced by what we're capable of doing. And that that doesn't actually make the story worse. It usually makes it better because additional parameters breed creativity. Yeah. Right. I I, I don't, I wouldn't want to, I don't want to talk about anybody's specific personal situation, but even like the, the structure of Juno for season three, we first had the idea because of something right. that somebody had going on. Right. Um, and once we had the idea, there was no letting go of it because right. we fell so in love with it. Right. But if that potentially really, really bad production reality had not even come up as a possibility, I think we would have, we wouldn't have made something as like specific and cool as we did. Yeah. Which I love so much. Yeah. So, um, uh, do you have any thoughts about Sam? Uh, <laughs> if uh, if if the crime family were stuck in quarantine like we were this year, what they would have gotten up to? Exactly what they got up to. Like they're on the ship together with nobody else all the time. Well, but let's say, but let, let's say, let's say uh, they're they're quarantined separately, or or, mm-hmm. or at least, or like they can't, they oh, can't, oh, you I know. See. They can't hop down and do a heist. Right. Gotcha. I don't think Rita would know it, notice. That's true. Rita could go. She has her snacks. Yeah. She has her streams. She's having a great time. <laughs> yeah, Rita probably wouldn't notice. Um, Juno would be mad and bad. Yeah, oh, <laughs> Juno, would, Juno would regress significantly. Yes, it would be so bad for him. Uh, he'd figure some stuff out, too, though. I... Uh, Jet would do a lot of like meditation. Meditation. He'd, he'd, you know what? He'd probably like buy like a busted up old car and like spend the year oh. fixing it. He'd probably. Like, oh, I was gonna say he'd he'd be doing he'd be making sourdough. Sure. <laughs> yeah, he would make sourdough. His his he 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 would divert some of his his preciousness about the Ruby Seven to right. a sourdough starter. God, Although, let's so be much. real, we already have. A sourdough starter character in this <laughs> in this season, and it's the Cure Mother Prize. One hundred percent. It's a yeast. It's it's a yeast. Yes. Uh, <laughs> a, a friend of ours who's uh, who like mans the the recording deck for literally our first recordings ever. Uh, went to culinary school. Does a lot of stuff with cooking. I still remember very early when we were doing the series, he was talking to me about keeping a yeast mother. Uh, like right, right, right. in his home and he was talking about this cooking ingredient that he's keeping like a pet in his refrigerator uh, and it was so nightmarish I couldn't let it go. <laughs> wow. There you go. Yeah, I was thinking like yeah, they, they could have had some good kombucha on the ship before. <laughs> um, sorry, I've gotten so distracted by that I'm not even looking for questions. Mm-hmm. Um Let's see here. Uh, feel free to drop some more questions now because I know I've missed some. Um, oh, uh, oh! This person is wondering if 
uh, this is sort of logistical, but uh, if we're planning on going back to uploading episodes to YouTube, it's a good we question. used to, didn't we? We did. Uh-huh. We did. We we kind of stopped because nobody was watching them, uh, and it it took a decent chunk of extra time. Uh, it takes so long to yeah. upload you, stuff to YouTube. So it sounds like slow. maybe no. Yeah, I, 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 I'm not like the thing that I'm opposed to about it is that it takes a lot of time that currently we don't have. Uh, if we were able to yeah. solve that, then yeah, sure, I would want it in more places so more people can see it. Um, this person is asking: uh, Is the title "Man in Glass" a reference to the poem "The Man in Glass"? Uh, and I, ass- no, I assume they're giving know. the name of the poet here. I don't uh, know that poem. No, and it was Peter Dale Wimbro Sr. Huh. Okay, I don't oh, know it either. Yeah. Uh, but they follow that up with, are there any other funky literary references we didn't notice? Probably. Probably. In part one of What Lies <laughs> Beyond, I that was a long episode, and I was I was having trouble while I was writing it, so I did I did throw in some references just for me, but I don't think they were literary. Maybe. I think they were just dumb, to be honest with you. <laughs> Hey, things can be dumb and literary. That's true. That's Look true. at me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can't. I can't um, think of any. I can't think of any. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see here. Um, Good girl. Uh, was there any media you took inspiration from for uh, the particular, particularly for season three plot lines? I know we've talked about this before in general, but. Uh, any any updates to the list of things that inspire particular episodes or plot lines? What were we watching? This was the first season where you and I weren't like, where you and I didn't have a show that we were watching. That's true. So we kind of started spending our time a little bit differently. Right, right, right. So um, we were each kind of bringing in our own things. Yeah. I honestly don't remember. I watched a lot of Elementary. I don't remember if that influenced stuff. It might have. Yeah. Um, yes, I watched all of Elementary except for the last episode, and then I stopped, and I still haven't watched the last episode. Mm, that's that's <laughs> me in the last three episodes of BoJack Horseman. You're you're on you're on you're in good company. Miss Slice, what are you doing? I don't think she likes it up here, man. Well, she asked. Okay. Um, <laughs> you're a good girl. Equivocating. Very good girl. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, oh, this person is curious about uh, how we started working with Anjimali. And the oh. uh, second question is what your favorite song is of theirs? Ooh. Um, well, the way we started working with them was, as I said, I just sort of had this idea that I wanted to work with the singer and kind of build an episode around that um and then I think I just went on my personal Facebook and like made a post saying that I was looking for um a performer within certain parameters I I said aiming for folky but Mm -hmm. you know whatever works and then just one person and somebody who um plays an instrument that is like easy to record Mm. with um just by yourself um and that post got shared around a little bit and somebody tagged and who was like this is just the luckiest break of my whole life because he was like just um just about to blow up big time but hadn't quite blown up big time yet 
That was just luck. That was just pure luck, and I just got it. I there. mean, we could never get them now. Absolutely right? not. Like, it's... Absolutely not. They're way too famous. <laughs> way they, too famous. Weren't they, weren't they on the cover of Rolling Stone? What their not name? The cover. Of well, their, their, their name was like was yeah. on was on yeah, there they because were in of the article. Stone. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're, uh, Tegan and Sarah are like, oh, Angel Emily is so good. Like, mm. I can't. Um, right. Right. We don't yeah. deserve. It's, it's wild. <laughs> it was so that was luck that we got in there. Um, so yeah. And then we just sort of had some meetings with him, um, and built the character around him. Uh, my favorite song is maker, um, which is in, which is in tools of rust, uh, in the background. Maker is how you pitched me on Angemily. Yeah. Oh, absolutely works. Such a good song. Yep. Um, I'm just going to read this verbatim because there's nothing else to do with it is, Thoughts on Rita getting a werewolf girlfriend, possibly? <laughs> I mean, we don't even need to answer that. I don't know. I just I thought, thought it needed to be aired in the space. Kind of um, looked like he had a thought. No, actually, I was trying to quantify the number of thoughts that I had, had, and I was trying to decide whether zero or one was the more honest answer. <laughs> she just thinks they're handsome. She just thinks they're handsome. That is one of my favorite things. But also, I do remember like Rita like being in rehearsal for that, and Kate saying, "I just think they're handsome." And then me and Kate looked at each other and we're like, <laughs> <laughs> "Oh my god!" <laughs> uh, um, let's no, see um, maybe we go for like ten more minutes. Yeah, I think let's let's try to wrap it up by four thirty. Cool. Um, that makes sense to me. Um, let's see here. Uh, what are some of your favorite ways different characters changed or or affected each other this season because of their various relationships? This is sort of a, a follow on to the dynamics question. Mm-hmm. I, I, for for me actually, the two that that are immediately coming to mind are both from Second Citadel, which. The pieces of interaction we get between Ola and Caroline uh, mm. really mean a lot to me because the ways in which Caroline can be a gigantic heel uh, actually align quite well with what Ola kind of emotionally needs, right? Just in terms of like, because of the way in which Ola gets anxious, she needs somebody who's going to tell her like the brutal truth mm-hmm. no matter what. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Caroline will not shy from that. And I like that we have taken this trait that in, in Caroline that has been kind of maligned by other characters for so long and given it a very useful, uh, a very useful place for a little kid, right? I, I, I really like the dynamic. Um, and the other one for me is uh, the way that Angelo grew over the season, especially after he met the kite. Um, and the... Uh, is it weird that I feel weird about spoiling the last episode of Second Citadel? You're good. I'm good. I can just say it's it. It's a little weird, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I feel like we've spoiled plenty. So That's true. I meant to start with a spoiler warning, but I feel like people figured it out. <laughs> uh, but because we knew we knew even then that the kite was Sir Galahad the Great. He right. was the greatest knight who ever lived. And the way that Galahad talks to Angelo like he's taking him under his wing. Like, listen, kid, you got lost on the mm. way here, but mm-hmm. you've got it in you. Mm-hmm. Um, and Angelo upon meeting like the perfect version of the man that he thought he wanted to be reacting with this like deep, deep horror. 
uh, like brought both of those characters to life for me in a way that I wasn't expecting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, very much the foundations of Angelo's world are crumbling, and he's, yes. he's picking up the pieces there. Um, I really like the way Juno and Vespa's relationship yes. has developed each of them. Um, you know, when, when there's somebody that you just have to spend a lot of time with, and maybe you're too similar, and you really, like, those edges rub up against each other too much, uh, but you have to find a way to coexist. Right. And it seems to have made Juno gentler. Mm-hmm. And I think it's not made Vespa gentler exactly, but in some ways her fierceness has become more totemic, which is something we talk about sometimes. Yeah. Um, mm. Which is something that you say about me sometimes, which is that like I have bad traits that <laughs> full stop <laughs> that I have I have bad traits that I will kind of um, caricature. Yeah. Because that's like putting them in a safe place mm-hmm. and being really over the top with them. And then we're kind of tacitly acknowledging that I'm trying to move away from those. Right. You're, you'll, you'll exaggerate them to a degree where, where we know that it's you're not kidding. Serious. Yes. And it's also kind of funny because we know that you, you mean a tiny seed of it. Yes, exactly. That I have that impulse. Yeah. And, and I think Vespa, we see her doing that sometimes with like being incredibly aggressive and violent mm-hmm. that like, you know, she, sometimes <laughs> it's not a hundred percent real right she's backing away from that a little bit and with that relationship i remember like for some people are actually quite good about not like not directly messaging us with requests for the story which i appreciate they used to uh they used to a lot one that we got quite a bit at the beginning of this season i remember was that um they couldn't they couldn't wait or they really wanted for vespa and juno to end up friends oh yeah and i remember (laughs) from very early on like what we had said about it was that like no i don't want to do that they will end up loving each other. They'll right. end up trusting each other. They'll right. end up extremely important to each other. But not everybody's friends. They're not going to like each other. Yeah. And like, I think that developing a love for somebody that you don't even like uh, is yeah. a really powerful thing that Sometimes was really fun to explore. Yeah. yeah. And that's that's family. <laughs> yeah. Right. That is family. That's family. Loving someone that you don't even really like. Mm-hmm. And that is family. <laughs> um, uh, another couple quick questions. Um, well. I, I should say they're not inherently quick. So uh, <laughs> uh, one question is about um, Sasha and Juno and at what point you knew that you'd be sort of putting them in conflict in the way that you did. Um, where, you know, how, how far back did that come from? I think we knew for a long time that things were going to have to come to a head with dark matters. Yeah. And then I think, but I think we had like put a pin in that. Mm -hmm. And then we just kind of like followed that logical train of thought, which was like, well, wait, but Sasha is in charge of dark matters now. So like, hasn't she fixed everything? Mm -hmm. And then we were like, maybe not though. Right. Yeah. A lot of something that we, we'd said in writing fiction across the void too, is that a lot of times I think creative decisions that, that can feel as like an observer uh, big and impressive and surprising are really the result of just asking a million tiny little questions until you get to an interesting answer. So for us, it was very much like, if Juno's going to be a criminal, he needs to bump into Dark Matters. Right. There's no way out of it, right? Yeah. Sasha's still a member of Dark Matters. How do we make these two go together? And just asking little questions about it. Did Sasha get killed? And so now she's not a concern. No, it's not satisfying. What if we go this way? What if we go this way? Right. Um, and eventually, you kind of stumble upon the world, the storyline it needs to be. 
Yes. And like, this is definitely the way that I approach storytelling. And it, it's part of why I struggled so much with it for such a long time. And it's kind of how I've characterized the difference between us is that like, you are very creative mm. in a pure sense of the world, the, the word that you just like come up with stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm much better with working with stuff that's already there. Although, as we've talked about, I think I've gotten better over time at coming up with stuff. I think we've grown towards each yes. other in that regard. Yeah. But I'm very into like, this sounds silly when it comes to storytelling, but finding the right answer mm-hmm. given the parameters that we have set what are even the possibilities that it could be? Mm-hmm. And then how can we narrow it down based on what is narratively satisfying, yeah. what makes sense for the characters? And then there's kind of like a right answer. Yeah. yeah. Instead of worrying about how do we, how do we, instead of like having a blank page in front of you and thinking, I want to write a story that has a cool answer. In some ways, it's been really useful for us to set up a cool situation or a cool question yeah. and then figure out what the Find only the answer, right answer is. Yeah. Because if the question, the situation is cool, the answer's got to be cool. Um, One final question uh, from the chat, um, and I think we can maybe all very briefly weigh in on this, is just about staying creative in a pandemic. Um, I mean, I can say a couple quick things, which is just that it's really hard. It's been hard. Yeah. uh, in so many ways, just mentally and in terms of being able to focus and like, and for me, uh, the best way to keep being creative was that we had to, mm. <laughs> is that we have a schedule yeah. and we have episodes that need to come out mm-hmm. and we had a live show to do and all these people were depending on me to do it. And, um, uh, so yeah. That that that's my take on the creative in a pandemic no, is one. Good. It's hard. Two, uh, it is uh, the easiest way to do it is to have to do it. Yeah, if you have accountability. Yep. In some way, yeah. And I mean, for for me, the the it's been a struggle every day not to not to completely beat myself up for the fact that I can't I can't do as much during the pandemic as I can. But I, as I, I hope I'm going to find out that I can't we get out of it again. I hope it's not just that I'm old. Uh, but like, I think the the kind of the 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 metric that I've used to describe it to people is that like I was writing for a thousand words or an hour every single day from when I was 19 to midway through when I was 29, which is when the pandemic started, and the the pandemic was literally the only thing that made me break that streak and it's been very difficult for me to go back to it. And I've got a diagnosis that says I need to do the same things over and over again, man. Uh, so at that point, I have a diagnosis. <laughs> have I shown you my diagnosis? <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's, it's sometimes I try to rest back on that as like, wow, this, this really is powerful. It, it, it's powerful enough that it controlled my brain chemistry in a way that I can't. So yeah, I have to go easy on myself. I have to be accepting of it. I think also, um, I think also maybe this comes with like age a little bit. I, I feel like you hit 30 and you're like, I'm so old and that's all you talk about. Uh, but it, it, I think it's just because it's when you start to feel oldness right. and you haven't before. But um, uh, the fact that like there's going to be phases to how you operate and what is healthy for you in a given moment and like, 
You don't have to be like, okay, well, I have to figure out the optimal way for me to exist and what my schedule is going to be and like, how am I, I'm going to get myself to do things. And like, cause it's not, I don't think it is always going to stay consistent. It's, it's just going to fluctuate. And you know, like within the pandemic, there have been periods of time where what was best for me in that moment was honestly to do nothing but work. Like work was the only thing I could bring myself to do. And I could just bury myself in sound design for 10 hours a day. And like, that was what I was doing. And that was working for me. And there were other times where I had to be like, I need to sleep all day. I just need to sleep all day. This is what I'm doing. And then there were other times where I needed to be like, I'm going to make a schedule. I'm going to exercise to get myself going. And then I'm going to do a couple hours work. And then I'm going to take a walk. And like, it's, it's okay to have to keep reevaluating right. your status and what's going to work for you in this moment. And you don't have to worry about finding the perfect balance that's going to work forever. It won't. I actually needed that specific pick me up today. So thank you. <laughs> that actually, that really helped. I feel better. Okay. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, I think that is the end on questions. Um, I think, uh, you two had a couple things you wanted to talk about before we depart. Yeah, yes. I did. Would you like me to go first? Sure. Uh, yeah. So I just wanted to announce here, I've, I've said it, uh, on, on my <clears throat> own stream separately, but because of all your support, uh, on the Patreon, uh, starting the end of this school year, uh, I'm going to be full-time on the Penumbra for the foreseeable future. Uh, I, it has been, it's been a dream of mine to be able to write like as my living for ever. And in my life plan, like the optimistic take I had on it for a very long time was like, I started teaching early, so I could probably retire around 60 and then I could have a full career as a writer when I'm, when that happens. Um, which I'd still be, I'd be totally cool with that life. So this <laughs> one is, I'm I'm joking about it because I'm so I'm so overwhelmed by how grateful I am uh, and by how much you all believe in us in our story and it means it means a lot it means a lot to me uh, and it means a lot to me to return the favor I guess you know to make the stories make the stories worth it round of applause for Kevin and I will say it's it's good for the rest of you know the more time Kevin can dedicate to this podcast, the better for all of us, uh, both from a creative and an administrative perspective. <laughs> like, you know, it, it's the best stories we can get, and uh, you know, it, yeah, it's just, um, yeah. I mean, it it, it yeah. really does. It's good for Kevin, obviously, that you get to live this life, but it's also good for all of us and for the podcast itself. Yeah, and like, if you want a very like measurable version of that, uh, what lies beyond the way that we did it? No way I could have done it yep. while I was still a full time teacher. That like, if you wanted that same amount of content, each episode would have been half as long, or it would have been a forty parter. Um, there's just <laughs> yikes. There's just no way. Um, and it was, it was the. It was one of the most satisfying, one of the most creatively fulfilling things I've ever done, flat out. And uh, I'm so I'm so grateful that I got to do it uh, and to give it to you all. I'm so proud of you. Thanks. So thank you all for making that possible. Um, I also have a personal announcement to make. Well, it's a more personal announcement to make. Um, in 
quarantine, I have been transitioning a lot. Uh, I mean, I went into quarantine non-binary, um, but I think this is probably the case for a lot of trans people um, that just stuff has happened in quarantine, spending a lot of time with yourself. Um, and I decided to, I don't know if the, I don't know if it's correct to say change my name, um, but I've decided to take on a new name. Mm -hmm. um, and I made that decision a little while ago and um, have talked to people I knew in person about it. Um, and I decided not to change my name professionally just because I figured it would be confusing. My name is on all of our work. You know, I don't want it to suddenly be something different. Um, but uh, my friends now know that I'm going by Harley. And I wanted to let you all know that just so you know it. Um, and because that way, if Kevin wants to refer to me as that in a public facing situation, or if Noah wants to refer to me as that, you'll know who they're talking about. Um, so it's still okay to call me Sophie. That's not, um, you don't have to think of it as my dead name. Uh, it's just not really what I'm going by in real life right now. So it's Harley from here on out. Um, and yeah, this is just sort of my soft announcement of that. So thanks for hearing it. And just because I'm sure we and you will field some questions about this, you're, you're cool with people referring to you as either in the context of, as either Harley or Sophie in the Absolutely. context of the podcast. Yes, yeah, yes that's just... fine. It's, it's really just that it makes it easier for me to adjust that name if the people around me use it more. And we do so much, you know, on the record that like they're calling right. me Sophie all the time and it's just making it hard for me to adjust. Um, so I just wanted to push that transition a little bit further. I believe you said that like professionally you're sort of the, your professional name as co-creator of the show. Yeah. Sophie it's still Takagi. Sophie Takagi Kaner. Um, mm -hmm. and I'm not going to change that anytime soon. I, I might eventually, I don't really know. Um, but again, referring to me as either is totally fine. Cool. Um, what do you got Noah? <laughs> Oh, God. I, I know. I really should have prepared something uh, great and personal and uh, uh, really joyous. Um, uh, but really, I've got like, you know, I don't know. I've got a seltzer here. <laughs> yes! You heard it here. The man has a seltzer here. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Thanks, Noah. Um, Thank you both so much for doing this. This is a delight. Always is. Yes. Um, and uh, patrons, thank you so much for, for tuning in and also for um, making this possible through your, your generosity. Yes. Um, both, both this event and literally everything we do. Um, so. Uh, oh, the chat wants you yeah, to make the noise, I, Noah. But. <laughs> you you hear me do it just all the time in the episode but they don't get to see your face when you do it it's i it will be a letdown it okay, <laughs> my face literally doesn't change i just go like literally there's nothing moving on my face when i do but it but i think it's it'll make them tongue. really happy <laughs> uh, i guess that go. in and of itself is memeable right the idea that i <laughs> the blank face with the <laughs> and that's what's important <laughs> memeability yeah. Um, so um, thank you uh, all. And um, thank you all, all of you who are listening in the future <laughs> when this exists as an, an audio form. Thank you for listening as well. Um, and uh, yeah, 
excited to to keep going with everything. We'll Live shows soon. and season four yeah. and uh, and and more Patreon bonuses and all of that. So mm-hmm. we are always revving up. Cool. All right. Well, thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. And um, Pine we'll Slice is napping, later. but she says bye. <laughs> bye, everybody. <laughs>